You're listening to Trek FM. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. Welcome, everyone, to a special supplemental episode of the 602 Pub. We just can't get enough, and Ruby is so kind to open the doors uh, for us today to allow us to come in and talk some Star Wars because we just got Rebels Season 2's Ender not too long ago, plus a Rogue One trailer, and we just have a ton to talk about. And uh, to help me do that, I've got some amazing Jedi here with me. I've got Tristan Riddell. How's it going, Tristan? Uh, it's going fantastic. Thanks for having me on. It's always fun to be on the 602 Club. Well, uh, as it should be, because you're joined by another amazing Jedi Master, John Mills. Oh, I'm so glad to be back. I I feel like my chair, it, 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 it's just gotten cold, and so i, I got to settle back into it. So thank you for having me on. As, as Tristan said, it's always a blast to be here. So I'm looking forward to uh, to talking about this with you guys. Now, is your chair cold because you uh, uh, you lost your streak? Like you, there was a break in your streak of being on every single six hundred two Star Wars episode. Oh, yes. he went there. I, I, you don't understand the the extreme sorrow and pain that I felt. Now, that is not to take away from Bruce and Bethany. I thought they were great. I enjoyed their insights. Um, but I, I, I so wanted to be there. I so wanted to be sitting there with you guys. So. So a little heartbreak, heartbreak emoji right there. A little heartbreak hotel <laughs> yeah. right there. It thanks, was, thanks for bringing uh, up that pain, Tristan. I appreciate oh, you're, yeah. you're welcome. I just, yeah. I just wanted to make sure that the, if the knife was still in, that I just twisted it a little bit. <laughs> yeah, while you're at it, why don't you give him a nice piper cut and pour some lemon juice on it? So, you know? That's what I do. Uh, okay, uh, so Rogue One. State your name for the record. Jin Erso. Forgery of imperial documents, possession of stolen property, aggravated assault, resisting arrest. On your own from the age of 15, reckless, aggressive, and undisciplined. This is a rebellion, isn't it? I rebel. We have a mission for you. The major weapons test is imminent. We need to know what it is and how to destroy it. Is that clear? Yes, sir. What will you do when they catch you? you do if they break you? If you continue to fight, what will you become? The trailer dropped, and, and we don't want to spend a lot of time because there's no reason for us to, to really deconstruct this because we've only got, like, Less than two minutes of, of footage, but I just wanted to get y'all's opinions about what you thought about this. I mean, this is really a brave new world 
for Star Wars because it is not a saga film and it it has no connection really whatsoever to George Lucas. This is really the first thing that Disney is going to do that they're just making crap up at this point. And so I wanted to ask you guys what you thought. Uh, Well, I loved it. I loved it from beginning to finish. I thought it was a, a beautifully constructed trailer. It gave me exactly what I needed to, you know, to walk out of it and say, I, I really have to know more about these characters, what's going on. Um, seeing the fact, and I, I talked about this on, on Commentary Trek Stars, but um, seeing the fact that they got the coloration of the Star Destroyers correct, that it's bone white, just it seriously was, that made me feel like, oh, he's as much of a Star Wars fan as I am because that conning tower is even correct. Good job. Um, and I, But I just thought it, it captured all of the the big epic feel that I would want from it, the desire to learn more about the characters, and there were enough shots where I was like, "What? who's that? Oh, what's going on? What's, it, what's happening? And um, that speech at the end, what will you become? That's got the right epic feel to Star Wars. Because that, that's at the center of every story is what are you going to do? What choices are you going to make? And what effect is it going to have on how your life turns out? And Force Whitaker's delivery in yeah. that speech was perfect. Like he affected his own voice in some way where he made it a little bit more gravelly and, and just a, like like he's been through something. You know, like, yeah. it, like it, it's like he's going to be a mentor to, uh, yes. to Jin. And it's just like I've been through you know, like, like he's walking with a cane. He's, you know, like he's 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 gruff, and so you just know that he's been through something. And I cannot wait to see what kind of relationship they have. I'm a huge Forrest Whitaker fan, and yeah. if I, I love the entire, like you, John, I love the entire trailer from beginning to end. I noticed like hardcore fans, like the three of us, you know, like all notice those little details that only hardcore fans would understand and appreciate. And it was just. I, I knew I was going to be excited for Rogue One just because I think the mythology and the concept behind the uh, the the getting the Death Star plans and how it leads up to A New Hope, I knew that that was going to be exciting. But I had no idea that I was going to be jazzed after watching the trailer. I just thought it was going to be, oh, cool, you know, that, that looks cool, that looks interesting, you know, like, uh, it'll be nice to have something in December in between episodes. But this just sold the idea yeah. of anthology movies for me. Agreed. Well, both of you know because uh, I, I woke up the other there more than morning, and Tristan is yelling at me on iMessage, "Wake up so you can see the Rogue <laughs> One trailer." <laughs> and I, I don't think that either of you felt like my reaction was what you were going to hear no. because my reaction it was, was unexpected. It was very unexpected. Are, are you sure yeah. this isn't a fan film? Like one of those really oh. serious fan films? Or are you sure that this isn't just the next Hunger Games movie? Now, guys, uh, guys me. listening, I when I text everything that Matt says is true because I texted him in the morning and then he texted back just a couple minutes. You know, like I could tell he was he was thinking about it and he just put, hmm, interesting. When rushing <laughs> types, hmm, interesting, that means I don't like it and I don't like you. That's what that means. <laughs> <laughs> That's I have right. no problem with Tristan. It just I, okay. I don't know what I, I expected. I, I I had no idea. But I think my my just first reaction was is this is different, and I I need time to to process what I'm watching and what this is. 
And um, for, for me, Star Wars has always been easy to accept in whatever form we have gotten it in uh, on screen because it's been from George. So I, I either accept it or not. I mean, it, you know, uh, this is different because this is really is the first time there's there's no connection to George. Uh, you know, uh, nobody's involved in this that um, George really worked with or, you know, like even with Rebels, it's Dave working with George. He knows how to make Star Wars. So I trust Dave at this point because spent over 10 years learning from the master. This is just a very different thing. But the more that I did watch the trailer, the more I began to see the connections with, say, the Clone Wars, the the settings kind of feeling like those crazy Clone Wars cities we would go to, uh, you know, and uh, the different arcs we would get, especially later on down the line. Uh, I started to get the feeling of, of Rebels a little bit because the uh, AT-ATs are more like the Rebels AT-ATs we saw at the beginning of Season 2 with Rex than they are the ones we see in Episode 5. So, those kind of things, like all the little things that you were talking about, John and, and Tristan, started to come out for me, and I could see, okay, I feel like Gareth Edwards is a fan of all of Star Wars, and I'm sure. beginning to see that more and more times that I watch this uh, trailer, and it's made me more and more excited. So yes, I am there with you guys now. It just took me longer to get there, but you know, I, I, I don't BS anybody. Anytime you get my opinion on this show... It is my full and honest opinion. I, I'm not going to, you know, mm -hmm. um, pretend to like something just because it's Star Wars or, or just because it's a comic book movie. No, I'm going to give you my honest opinion. And uh, I got there, and I'm glad I did. And I, 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 I'm actually at the point where I'm like, I could, I could probably like this more than, than The Force Awakens just because of what I'm starting to see and pick up from this trailer. And, and now... I just can't wait to see more. And the fact that the same woman who was supposed to be Mon Mothma in episode three and got yeah. cut out is playing Mon Mothma in this film, sold. Yeah, yep. so that's another for me too. Right, that's another one of those little love letters to the fans where it's like we're we're paying attention, guys. We, uh, you know what? And, and just to just to speak to that real quick, I, because I think that both uh, Matt and I weren't the only ones, but there, there were plenty of us that were with the 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 publicity lead up to the force awakens were feeling a little bit disrespected uh, by Disney for liking the prequels where it was like, Hey guys, stop emphasizing that this isn't the prequels. We liked it all. Come on, you know, love us too. And just that little bit of casting and the other details feel like, I, I feel like they're treating the whole family equally on this one, as opposed mm, to yeah. catering to the people that only like the originals. Makes well, sense. Yeah, I think I think it absolutely makes sense because there, there's a rumor swirling around that this is going to have heavy connections, but uh, with the the prequel trilogy as well as foreshadowing, obviously foreshadowing events to the original trilogy, and also that season three of Rebels is going to tie into tie have some ties with Rogue One and vice versa. And I I think it's. Now again, this is all rumors. You know, nobody nobody really knows. But I think that's a very interesting approach because if you're going to continue to do anthology, we need to embrace the prequel trilogy. We need to embrace that era of Clone Wars and Rebels and um, the books that are going on right now. And all every like because we started over with canon, there's so much more we can explore. We could like 
10 years from now, we could have a, a movie about Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan when they were, uh, you know, like when they were apprentice and master and everything oh. like that. It's just it, the, the possibilities are endless. And I think if you're going to if this is going to be your first step forward into anthology storytelling for Star Wars, you need to embrace all of it. So what you're yep. saying, Tristan, is that we've taken our first step into a larger world. <laughs> all, basically, what I'm saying is all I want is the Jedi Apprentice books. You know, yes, <laughs> yes. I hear you. Well, and, and we all would love to see the Obi-Wan Kenobi film mm-hmm. between episodes three and four, too. So, oh. But yeah, I, I really agree with you both. Uh, the fact that I feel like, look, let's be honest, this is a prequel. So whether you like it or not, this is a prequel film. It takes place in that time period. And by embracing both, I think you're really it's like, let's bring it all together. You know, let's work together. And and the fact that I feel like Gareth is very much invested in using what he can use from the prequel trilogy, Clone Wars, Rebels, and the original trilogy to meld it all together to make the best story possible, I'm sold. So uh, Rogue One for me. I, I'm I'm very much there, and I'm as pumped, if not more pumped, than I even was at this point when I saw the first trailer for The Force Awakens, which didn't strike me all that well when I saw that one, and it wasn't till the second trailer that I started to get sold. This one, I'm there. So, uh, which brings me to season two of Rebels. Perhaps I was wrong. It wouldn't be the first time. It was foretold that you would be here. Our long-awaited meeting has come at last. I'm glad I gave you something to look forward to. We need not be adversaries. The Emperor will show you mercy if you tell me where the remaining Jedi can be found. There are no Jedi. You and your Inquisitors have seen to that. Perhaps this child will confess what you will not. I was beginning to believe I knew who you were behind that mask, but it's impossible. My master could never be as vile as you. Anakin Skywalker was weak. I destroyed him. Then I will avenge his death. Revenge is not the Jedi way. I am no Jedi. this uh, this amazing ending of season one i mean ahsoka comes back and i mean the internet exploded our heads exploded ahsoka lives t-shirts meant everything again and then during the summer i mean they they released the siege of lothal and so where were you guys coming into season two 
you know, and, and what were you kind of hoping this season would be? Well, with me, I, uh, I loved Siege of Lothal and I, uh, but the, the only, the only thing that, that pisses me off about the, the TV movies is that I know that when I buy it on iTunes, it's going to be way more expensive than it should be. And it's not going to come <laughs> with the rest of the season. <laughs> and yep, now they're doing something even more where in season one, you could buy all of season one and, but with season two, they're cutting it up into volumes so on mm. on iTunes to purchase, and I'm just like, yeah. oh my gosh. Uh, anyway, that's neither here nor there. That's not Star that's Wars. That's why I just wait for the Blu-ray. Yeah, and but with Siege of Lothal, I was I was game once I watched that. I, I because I love season one. I know some people have their. I know that season one had ups and downs, and I know that some people were like, eh, you know, it shows promise. I was in love with it. I was just like, boom, I'm on board. Season one is great. I love that we're following one crew as opposed to several others, like in Clone Wars. I mean, that that's just my style. And when Siege of Lothal came out, we got Vader, we got Ahsoka, we got um, we got Kanan uh, and Ezra realizing that they're out of their depth. You could really tell that they're trying to make Vader scary again, and mm-hmm. it worked because even i was i was scared for kanan i was just like dude you have no idea what you're about to get into and that's what we should be thinking and yep. i just yeah so right from the be- beginning i was i was like all right this is going to be good yeah uh i i don't i don't know what i can add to that except to say that the the best the best moment in the entire siege of lethal for me was and i think it's probably i i know i'm not alone on this is to speak to making Vader scary again when he has used the force to throw Ezra up against, you know, the, the pylon and he's using the force to push his own lightsaber against him. And you finally have this sense of exactly how powerful Vader is in this era, like investing because Vader's been deconstructed and we've seen his journey from kid to Vader to this and that. And like, we know all of his human angles turning him back into a monster, able to throw somebody up and not just, you know, cut Ezra down, but to take this sort of uh, almost pleasure in, I'm going to let you know that your end is coming. I'm slowly going to push that lightsaber up against you and you're going to die. And of course, you know, you know, Ezra gets saved, but like, yeah, I mean, those are the moments that are really, uh, it was a slam bang moment. Uh, for me. And I'm right there with you guys. You know, I, I think by the time that season one ended and then we got Siege of Lothal, uh, I, I was ready for Rebels. It was it was becoming everything I wanted to uh, see. You know, I, I was really enjoying it. And um, I, I think that they had really legitimized themselves by starting to bring in some elements from other parts of the saga, but really start to make these characters important. Like, you know, uh, why were we supposed to care about Hera and Ezra and Kanan and Sabine and Zeb? And, and that connection to me, to the larger whole, started to really uh, make them something that was important and worth watching. Because every time you get something that's seemingly unconnected, the moment that it's like, oh, oh, that's who these people are. You know, they started to ask that, answer that question, like who these people are to the rebellion, and I loved that. And 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 so, you know, it it really became something that I I couldn't wait to get more of. And then, 
you know, as we moved into the actual episodes for the season, once it started, you know, I felt like this is where it, again, it started off with a bang, you know, and yeah. the standout episode, I mean, getting Rex back with, uh, uh, Ahsoka there too, and making him somebody that was important. I I really loved when we started off the the season with uh, the Lost Commanders in Relics of the Old Republic. I just thought that was a great way to really start this, and really, I mean, they're they're looking for a base for these rebels, which is really cool because it's then starting to slowly build into where the rebels would have bases. I mean. Who knows? Maybe in in season three, the rebel base is Dantooine. Yeah, later on down the road, you know, like that's where we're starting to get. So that I man that, and of course, just God having Captain Rex back. Oh yeah, no yeah, yeah. having Captain Rex back was, was fantastic, and I agree with you. It started off with a bang. I I've always been sort of um, trepidatious uh, with rebels because. It seemed to be of two minds about the ser- about itself the way I was of two minds about it, where part of me really wanted to see it as sort of like Clone Wars Part 2, but then another part of me wanted to see something different and, and unique in its own right. And I think that the beginning of Season 2 starts out with a what I would call a perfect blend, where by rooting these characters into the larger narrative, by bringing back Rex as a counterpoint for you know the bygone era of you know that of of duty and honor and showing how it's gone now you know like and these clones represent the clones represent the death of an era and you know and they are relics like that rooted it for me that gave this space family a place to exist that whereas in season 1 I really struggled, especially with the first half of it, where it felt like they were just there. Like there was no sense of them being being part of a story that I wanted to see them tell. Like if I'm tuning into Star Wars Rebels, I want to see how it relates to what's going on. And I, I think that the with season one, a lot of their missteps were due to the fact that they they left them adrift. They didn't anchor them in something that as a fan I could come to. Now, granted, they're trying to reach out to younger fans as well as, you know, grown men watching a cartoon on Disney XD on Wednesday night. So, you know, hey. But like and but that that's I think that in and of itself speaks to like their audience is difficult for them to navigate. Like how are they going to please me while pleasing, say, my, you know, I, I want to sit down and watch this show with my daughters. Right. How is it going to play with them where I'm like, "Ooh, Captain Rex. And they're going to be like, I want to learn more about Sabine. You know, like, how do you how do you walk that that tightrope? Well, and that is a big difference between Clone Wars and the Rebels, because with Rebels, you're you're having to please a network and a, a studio. Clone Wars was I'm George Lucas. I'm going to do whatever the heck I want. And you have already bought it. So, <laughs> right. you know, like all of that was just whatever George and Dave wanted to do with Star Wars. And I think that's what one of the reasons why it was so groundbreaking and, and different and bold. And it was like nothing we'd ever seen. Rebels, unfortunately, in some ways is bound by all the things that normal cartoons are bound by, 
which is a studio and a network. They want a certain something, and I feel like they're... I would say the first six episodes of this season, it, it was almost as if some of the reins had been taking off Rebels, yep. and they were being allowed to really fully explore. And then I felt like I got to the middle of the season, and I could tell the episodes where I felt like, oh, this is where they're starting to just, like, we, we had to pay back the studio. We had to give them this kind of episode. Right. So it, this one's still up and down, but it, it it maybe has more ups than downs. I don't know. So. I feel like they've been introducing um, Clone Wars characters and stories at the right pace and at the right time where they're not inundating their their own show so that it looks like a crutch where they can't stand on their own. But at the same time, you know, it's we all know the reasons why Clone Wars ended. You know, we all know the complications with Clone Wars and Rebels with the Disney buy. And I think they're trying to show us that Rebels is a part of that world. Clone Wars is still a part of that world. And, you know, it's not like we wanted Clone Wars to end. It's not like we're forsaking it. So we're giving you some of those ties, but at the same time, we're giving you something new. And for that, I really appreciate, you know, with the introduction of, of Rex and Hondo and Ahsoka and, and, and everybody like that. And it just uh, it just worked for me. And I, you know, and Matt, I think you're absolutely right, because, you know, like if, if you look at Lost Commanders, Relics, uh, Always Two There Are Brothers and Wings of a Master, you know, like these are I, I thought that these were all stellar episodes, but then we started to. As we got to the middle yeah. of the season, it's just like, oh, okay, we're losing steam. Yeah, uh, Blood Sisters is definitely the first real misstep of the season for me. Yeah, oh, where yeah, I yeah. was kind of like, ah, why did I watch? Like, it, it, the episode itself even felt disjointed. It felt rushed. It felt like they had written an arc for like three separate episodes and then just mashed it together. They said we got thirty minutes, let's or twenty two minutes, however long they get with, without commercials, like. And they just threw it all together. And it was like the, there should have been a slower burn with the introduction of an original character because we already have a large family. They brought on old members of the family. And this character that they introduced here like felt like she should have been slowly eased in as opposed to having a standalone episode focused just on her relationship with Sabine. Mm -hmm. Well, it, it was frustrating about it too was that Ketsu... You, you you have this strange backstory with her and Sabine, and Sabine is a character which I have a really hard time with in the first mm. place, uh, mainly because I feel like they have given her so much backstory to happen to somebody who's like, what, 16 years old? Like, she was at the Academy, and then she was a bounty hunter, and all these things, all before the time she became part of the Rebellion. Right. Like, what, she, she was a bounty hunter when she was 13? 14 like it just it's it's a very strange it's like they're cramming it she seems like the the perfect example of sometimes what's wrong with rebels is trying to cram too much into you know too little a time frame and and you know what it, it, it's interesting because as you say that that there was a i was discussing with somebody i forget who where it was um with Sabine's character, I think you're right. Like her backstory is too voluminous for somebody that appears to be, you know, a teenager. <laughs> um, like it's sort of the reason why for me, Titanic never uh, had the same sort of traction character wise that it did for some other people, 
because in the movie Titanic, like Leonardo DiCaprio's character is like 20, but he's done enough living to be 50. And like that. And I think Sabine suffers from the same thing of trying to to put too many things uh, together. But like, do, do you guys regard that as a breaking moment for the season or were because for me, Stealth Strike was able to sort of make up ground for that, like trade back and forth. Well, before that, you know, we got Wings of the Master, which getting the, the background of the B-Wing. Oh, yeah. Brilliant. Oh, yes. that was I mean, such a good episode. Yeah, yeah, it was. John, we've talked about on Aggressive Negotiations, and B-Wing is my favorite ship. So, I mean, yeah, yeah and that it, was... Well, just see, finally getting to see a B-Wing actually do something on screen, mm-hmm. like other than yes. pull away from the Death Star, was awesome. Just was, when it when it wrecked that ship, I was just like, "What just happened? What did you give?" And that those are the moments, like even more important than tying it in to Clone Wars. That is a moment that ties it into the greater saga. Where now, when you see a B wing in Return of the Jedi, you're like, "Oh, I know somebody. I might not get to see it, but I know what's going to go down in the background when I see that Star Destroyer blow up in the background. I know who did it this time." You know. Yeah, I didn't really dig on the B-Wing that much growing up or or I was just like, I was like, oh, you know, it's like the A-Wing and, you know, whatever, you know, it's it's at least it's not as boring as the Y-Wing, you know, but I, <laughs> this episode definitely made me fall in love with it. I was just like, wow, holy crap, that's a cool ship. That's amazing what it can do in the hands of a fantastic pilot. But at the same time, I'm just like, it's like, that's so powerful. <laughs> Why were they continuing to make X-Wings? Like, what's going on? Right. Right. Well, yeah, that's a, yeah, that's a great question. Maybe it's because the B wings cost more, and you know the more resources. The and tough, and ha- ha- to to speak to rebellion your point, only Tristan, has so much money. Well, yeah, no, but I mean, like to to speak to Tristan's point about like in the hands of a great pilot, maybe they mm-hmm. just didn't have pilots that were rated well enough to fly B wings. Oh, you know, that's good. That's good. That would have been a natural yeah. limiter. Or rushing, I, I like the point that you brought up. Too. Both of you bring up great points, but rushing it could be like the F twenty two syndrome, where they're just like, ah, it's too expensive to make. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I and I think combining both of those, obviously Hera is one of the few people who could really fly this thing. So you do have to be an incredible pilot. So this would definitely, I mean, even if you just had a squad of these of maybe like five, you know, where are you going to get five incredibly amazing pilots that also want to be a part of the rebellion? I mean, it, so yeah, I, I love that, that taking both of those ideas and it, it just makes sense for headcanon. Um, John, you know, Stealth Strike, I think, was interesting in the sense that we actually get the first uh, on-screen interdictor yep. class, uh, which is straight out of the EU, and so uh, fans love that, but it was just, it was nice fan service, but it was just an okay episode. I, I had fun watching it, but it wasn't like the best episode of the season. It was more middle of the road for me. See that that's interesting because for me, like Stealth Strike having Rex have a that moment of honor again echoed why mm-hmm. I feel Rex is even in the show. Maybe that has helped me gloss over some of the shortcomings of the episode. Was giving Rex a real dramatic moment was, but you know what? It would speak to your point about fan service. I mean, I just love Rex, and so if they give him yeah. if they give him some love i'm going to be yay fanboy <laughs> i i just thought the episode was really fun like i really liked the idea of kanan and rex trying to break out ezra and you know putting on mm-hmm. stormtrooper outfits yeah. it made me feel 
like it was a throwback to a new hope and it, it just and he accidentally shoots kanan that was great yeah he ac- yeah i just <laughs> I, I thought it was filled with fun moments was it the best episode of the season no but it uh it, it you know like i had a lot of fun well and and what was so cool is that after that one of the best episodes of the season tying back to the clone wars children of the force was this is the future of the force mm. uh, ahsoka is back and I mean, when she lays the smackdown on the seventh sister and the fifth brother, it just, I mean, it is so quick, that fight. Like, she has them done and out. Oh, God, it was it was awesome. It was just yeah. an incredible moment as a Star Wars fan for me. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I agree. And uh, Future of the Force. Okay, so maybe maybe if we look at Stealth Strike versus Future of the Force... They're both, in a sense, fan service, but Future of the Force has more weight. Maybe that's why it resonates more mm-hmm. for you, Matt. I, I I don't know, but like, um, yeah. I I mean, I, I agree with you. Like, any chance getting to see Ahsoka in action is, you know, I mean, is fan service. But I mean, like, it all pays off by the end of the at the end of the season. I mean, like, but that that again, I think, gets back to the whole being of two minds thing because as we're sitting here and we're talking about you know these great moments. It's almost like that they have introduced these great moments, these great things, and it has highlighted the shortcomings that they have with who were su- the people who are supposed to be our main characters, like Ezra. Like an Ezra-centric plot line a lot of times for me. Like the episode will start, and I'm kind of like, oh, okay, all right, that's fine. Like, do you think that there's a real problem and uh, you know now that we have the the season finale do you think that that has informed that last shot we get of Ezra is that they recognize that his character wasn't interesting enough to be a character for the audience to root for John I was just about to say that because my least favorite character is the main protagonist and there are tons of shows that I've enjoyed in the past where (laughs) the worst character is the lead and sure. I just, I could not connect with Ezra. I just didn't think he was very cool. I, there were certain decisions done with the voice acting where I'm like, eh, really, is that the direction we're going to go in? And it just, overall, I was just very, eh, very lackluster. And it's really sad because I love the idea of the apprentice relationship. I love the idea of someone learning about the Force from the beginning onward. And especially in this very homegrown obi-wan luke kind of way and it's was sad that i was just like whenever there was an ezra episode i was like eh. you know just kind of roll my eyes like oh whatever right. but then at the very end of season two i'm like holy crap ezra just got a whole lot more interesting exactly yeah that is a great question i mean because you know so future of the force you know dealing with these force sensitive children and they're trying to uh steal them you know uh we know that the emperor already has a huge interest in them because of children of the force from the clone wars that's obviously where some of these inquisitors have probably come from as well so that is fascinating i wish that what i wish is uh, you were asking john is is this where we we kind of see the problem with uh rebels and it's their characters I don't think it's the character so much. I think it's the storytelling. Okay, hmm. so this is an interesting story. We're diving into this, um, these really important questions about this time period, where these Inquisitors have come from, what all of this stuff, but we never actually answer any of the really interesting questions. 
I mean, I feel like how many times in this season are the rebels that are our main rebels on like a fuel run? Yeah. Like, guys, stop with these kind of stories and give us the mythology. That's where I think it really connects. And what you guys were also saying about um, Ezra, I think, you know, the next uh, episode we got was Legacy, where we're seeing what happened to Ezra's parents and we're learning what happened. And I feel like I don't know if it came down that they just wanted to on from on high, like uh, we want you to deal with Ezra and his family. We don't want this hanging around. We don't want any connections to maybe you know, the Force Awakens time period or anything like that. We just want you to deal with it because this felt very rushed and kind of forced, and I I, I didn't really care, and that's yeah. not something you should get when you find out a character's parents are dead, like when you get right. the resolution that, yeah, you're an orphan. Yeah, it definitely yeah. felt like a wrap-up. It felt like, okay, we, we teased this at the beginning, we spent a couple of episodes, and I think good episodes in season one about it, but it very much felt like, oh, we can't just leave this hanging. So people are asking the question. And so let's just let's right. tie this up. Well, and I, and I think that that sort of um, uh, slow pace continued into Princess on Lothal. I have not I have very specifically not liked when they've gone to the effort of including 3P and R2. Princess Leia, like I I don't know what it is. Am I alone in this? I don't want to see characters from A New Hope Forward wedged into the plot. You know, like with with Brothers of the Broken Horn, seeing Hondo put into a role that would have worked for any other character, for me, that's successful. I, I, that, that episode works whether it's Hondo or not in, in that role, but seeing Hondo adds to it. Whereas A Princess and Lothal just felt to me like it was a force i would have am i alone in that no i i was the same way like i i I was very excited to see princess leia because i've always i've always wondered what it was like when she was younger you know how much responsibility did she really have when she was a when she was a princess especially a young princess and i I th- I didn't know that they were going to spend this much time with Princess Leia. I I thought it was going to be much more of a tease, like she pops up at the end, or we're just yeah. like, oh, cool, you know, it's an interesting face. But at the same time, it just it felt wasted, and I, you know, I I don't I don't think I can have the same position as you, John, where I'm not interested in seeing original trilogy characters because. As you know, with C three PO, I'm so tired of C three PO. But with like C three PO and R two D two and Princess Red Leia, Arm or not, I don't care. What do you say? Right, Red Arm. Red or Arm not. or not, I don't. Red care. Red Arm or not, I don't care. He's done. It's it's time to move on. But yeah. it's uh yeah with with Princess Leia, it just felt forced. It felt unnecessary. But with Hondo, it didn't. And with Lando, it didn't. And so when I saw Lando, I was just like, oh, this is cool. I like Lando. Rushing, uh, you know you're steering, and point. you didn't like it, but I I, I did. I I liked Lando in there. I have to, okay, I'll I'll defend it a little bit because I think I liked it better than both of you. And what I liked was this idea of, one, seeing what Vader was talking about in episode four, you're not on any mercy mission. Um, so we, we see that they have been using this idea of mercy mission, which they are actually doing. They are bringing supplies, but they also have covert reasons for doing it as well. So... For me, I, I kind of liked that. I also liked uh, seeing Leia 
being on the the knife's edge of trying to play the part of the imperial senator, but also at the same time having to. Uh, she, I mean, she can't fully be a part of the rebellion yet, and uh, so I thought that that was interesting enough. Um, was it? Everything I wanted it to be, definitely not. I mean, so there I fall down on the same side as you guys, but I think I found it a little bit more successful just because of the things that it did do interestingly for the Leia character and giving me just a little bit. And um, yeah, I don't want her to be thrown in there for no good reason. This one was just, it was semi-interesting enough to keep my um, interest in it, but... it wasn't as great as I'd hoped when I heard, oh, we're going to bring Princess Leia to, you know, the, yeah, this, this, this season. Yeah. See, I mean, I don't know. I mean, there, there's also like, for me, a real desire, like, you know, skipping forward to like legends of the Lasat, the ending of that, when they navigated the, the maze of like black holes and everything to, to find that planet and, you know, and the prophecy and everything there is, like i don't know man like i i want to see something that that echoes i guess um to to a point you were mentioning before matt like uh, about rogue one like that you know this doesn't have george lucas involved in it at all that episode when they did go through that maze and they had the music cue and 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 everybody going through and and you know the imperial ship having to break off and stuff like that like that felt like a george lucas moment something where they were willing to take a a risk almost of just purely abstract almost filmmaking where like there's no dialogue it's all visuals mm-hmm. and and music and stuff like that i want to see i really want to see more of that out of this series like i really do like and it's so strange because Legends of the Lasat, that's an episode that's sort of like if it didn't have that little bit, I would consider it a moment, you know, an episode you could discard, you know, like yep. you could skip over it. But I, I would say you can skip over this episode except that ending. That ending is so beautiful and wonderful. Like that is what I want to see on screen. John, I'm really happy that you said that and that you feel that way because I, I when I watched the episode and we got to that ending, I felt like that was going to be a very polarizing moment. Like there are going to be people who either love it or hate it. And when I started the episode of Legends of Lestat, I was like, I almost said Legends of Lestat. Um, <laughs> very <laughs> totally different, different. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when I started it, I was just like, oh, I'm not going to like this episode. Like it's just for some reason, just something did not mm-hmm. click with me right at the beginning. I was just like, oh, this is going to be a throwaway. This is not going to be very good. Oh, well, but as we proceeded on, we started getting more mystical and I was just like, do we need to get mystical at this point in time? You know, what's do we need? Does this need to happen? And it felt so different that I started respecting it as I was watching the Mm -hmm. episode. I started liking it more and more as I started going. And like you said, like when we got to that ending, I was there were certain times that like the Clone Wars did this to me and other in season one of Rebels did this to me where I'm just like, oh, my gosh, like you have me. This is this is beautiful. Mm-hmm. This is different. Like it was very reminiscent of the fountain to me, you know, like with the Darren Aronofsky's oh, the fountain. Good you know, pull. Good yeah, pull. Where they were going through um, the nebula and the dying star, you know, in the movie and the music cue. I really do feel like, feel like somebody who made that moment was influenced by Darren Aronofsky. I mean, I, that might be a stretch, but it just, there was a lot of parallels in my own mind. And also the laying of hands 
mm. you know that that's i mean to some people that's more important than than others i mean i know that's important to the three of us but just the action of laying of hands the going through the nebula going through the the black the black holes and the music and the it, it just, the entire moment just made the episode for me yeah it was interesting too uh, with that because it reminded me of you know we got the mysticism of the Dathomiri witches in Clone Wars mm-hmm. you know as a different aspect to Star Wars and uh, we were really diving into some strange esoteric things in the Clone Wars when it came to the Force obviously with Mortis and stuff and this was just another interesting look at the ways in which the Force has manifested itself to different peoples throughout the galaxy. So I thought that was what was most interesting about Legends of the Slot, and especially following the Protector of Concord Dawn, which, okay, I was really excited about when I first heard about this idea that we were going to get more Mandalorian stuff and really start connecting with what we had seen uh, at the end of the Clone Wars with the Mandalorians and everything. But then that episode, I was just like, this is what yeah. this this mm-hmm. is come on if you're really going to start to dive into this mythology make it really mean something i mean when sabine reveals that she's from house vizsla i mean there's there's so little really happening in this episode to really make it super interesting that i was like even that reveal I, you're missing the mark mm-hmm. there especially when you're trying to connect because you're just you're not the writing was not up to par there, uh, and so I was glad when we did get to Legends of Lasat, and I felt a little bit more like, okay, at least this is this is something. So, well, I, I think I think also because this definitely is the patch now where the show sort of, and I'm going to steal a sentiment actually from you, you and the girl Tristan, as you said on on Nerd Nuptial from time to time. It's this season was sort of like The Walking Dead an episode of the walking dead where it was like eh, eh, eh. oh my gosh what happened eh, eh. oh my gosh what happened you know like <laughs> it just sort of went up and down for me yeah. um and so it's like it's it's almost as if i don't know it, it just gets back, like the, i just want them to commit and and like you know the call eh, you know like what well, you wasted in a sense it feels like you wasted my time like i had I had to get through the call and homecoming and the honorable ones. And I mean, we've all seen that whole trope of like, oh, the two enemies are stranded on and they respect you. You're more mm. alike than we thought. Very okay. enemy mind. Like, yeah. Yeah. Right. But, but to borrow from um, what, one of the things I love, a show that I love is the venture brothers. And there was an episode where Brock Sampson and phantom limb are face to face and phantom limb just looks at me and goes, you know, we're not so different. And Brock just goes, oh, let me just put a stop right there. I've gotten that speech a ton of times. I'm kind of tired of it. And it's like, <laughs> yes. Okay, I get, yes. Oh, if we didn't fight, we'd get along. We'd be best friends ever. Blah, blah, blah. Like, I hate to be that way, but it's like, uh, okay, I, I get it. I get it. Well, and right on top of that is that they, okay, so they do those episodes. Then you get Shroud of Darkness, which just is mind-blowing. Yes. I mean, it's mind blowing what they do in that episode. And then you do the forgotten joy to mystery of chopper base, which are, eh. yeah. Oh my gosh. And very then much, eh. you're going to go. T- yeah. yeah. And then you're going to go to the, the twilight of the prince. And this is where I was so frustrated. It's like, look, the last season you did this thing where you ramped up with like five episodes to the end. And it was just the most amazing wrap up. And, and yet here 
I felt like they lost it because you did Shroud of Darkness and then you cut in with these Chopper episodes yes. and then this kind of mystery of Chopper base, which I get that it's kind of setting up the 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 fracturing of this rebel group a little bit because the next episode is all going to be about Kanan, Ezra, and Ahsoka and Darth Maul. But it's just, I, I felt like, don't do those episodes. Really build up to Darth Maul and everything else. Mm-hmm. Make it feel even more important because by the time we got to Twilight of the Princess, even though it's a full hour, I felt like so much was crammed in there yep. that I really wanted it needed to be like three episodes. I really yeah. needed like an hour okay. and a half to fully explore everything that we're about to explore. Exactly right. I, I, I think you hit the nail on the head there. Where Forgotten Droid Mystery of Chopper Base would have, why not put them? on the planet that they're on, on Twilight of, the, Twilight of the Apprentice, and have them, instead of speeding them through to the point where they get to the, the you know, the, the Sith Temple at the end and everything like that, is, oh, hey, we fell through the planet, right? Have them stranded there for a little bit and have Ahsoka and Ezra interact and talk about the nature of the Force and, and Kanan, you know, find his way and like, and like you said, Matt, build up to it because... If there's anything I really needed, it was more helicopter lightsabers. And we could have had three episodes of helicopter lightsabers as opposed to just one. Because Shut up, I know yeah. you're a big fan of those. I hate those oh, helicopter man. lightsabers. I'm okay, sorry. Jesse, I'm with I want to everything one. in Star Wars. No, I, I want to unpack this here because like, it, it's so funny because like, as fans, we all have our own little idiosyncratic loves and everything. Go, go, copter. I kind of love helicopter lightsaber because it's so corny and so just out there like it's nuts and i like that i like the fact that they were like how are they going to get from one spot to the other helicopter lightsaber okay like that's it's cool awful. like i'm like i like that why not awful. okay if uh, here's the thing is that when i first when i saw that because did we see it before or did we first see it in twilight of the of the apprentice i can't remember we only saw it in twilight okay of the so we only so saw it we'd in never seen this w- when i saw that yeah. i was just like really we're doing this and and I texted rushing. I was just like, "How do you feel about the helicopter lightsaber?" He's like, "Oh, I can't stand." I was like, "Oh, thank God, I'm not alone." And but <laughs> what kicked it? What what kicked me in the gut even more was I was like, "Oh man, Rebels is canon." That means yep. that like we could see this pop up in film form later on. I don't uh-huh. think we will, but I'm just saying that in the back of our minds, as we're watching Rogue One in Episode Eight. There's going to be those times when we there, there's going to be another time where we see a person with a double bladed lightsaber and they're going to be stuck somewhere and in the back of our minds we're going to go oh they can always just helicopter out but it ha- it has to have the little circle that's what yes. provides the yes. lift uh, like a hel- okay I, now I you know I know physics in Star Wars is difficult sometimes but that's what <laughs> it's that center core that provides there's absolutely the lift. no physics whatsoever apparently in the phys- <laughs> in the Star Wars universe whatsoever there's like no physics in Star I Wars feel- if, yeah. if helicopter lightsabers can be a thing okay uh, let's talk about the actual thing sure. that this does because we finally got the Ahsoka and the Vader and we have to talk about this because did it live up to what you wanted um Obviously, there are some great callbacks to, I mean, the the last shot of Ahsoka is literally the same last shot as the Clone Wars. So they're they're definitely doing a lot of tie-ins uh, here. But does it 
did it live up? I mean, it, and, and did they really use Ahsoka in a way that legitimized bringing her back in the first place for you? I, I, I was sold with Twilight of the Apprentice. Like, as soon as I finished it, I was like, holy crap, that was a good 42 minutes of television. That, and it kind of made me angry, though, because it was so good. And right before that, we got the Mystery of Chopper Base and the Forgotten Droid and some of the ones before and three before Shroud of Darkness. I was just kind of like, why if they we know that they can do it. We know that they have good writers. We know that they have great producers. And if they can do something as monumental as they did with Twilight of the Apprentice, why didn't they do that before? Because I I know that I'm I'm ignorant when it comes to the economics of CGI television making, but it's it's not like you have to like do the sets in twilight of the apprentice cost more than the sets that they made for mystery of chopper base you know like like is is it really that economic is it an economical thing is it a creative drain thing i don't know but the way that they cut the mid-season trailer made it feel like twilight of the apprentice was going to be four episodes because they focused so heavily on that last episode so they obviously knew that they had something special with twilight but why couldn't we get more of that beforehand? And so it was a double-edged sword for me where I was just like, holy crap, that's really awesome. That's really great. But at the same time, you have raised the bar. So please do not lower it so often. And does yep. does Rebels Anakin freak out anybody else? Like just the, the way that his face is shaped and everything like that. Like I'm so used to seeing oh. Anakin in Clone Wars that they had to rebelize him with with this new animation style. And it just feels off to me. Uh, you know, I, that didn't, I, I didn't have the, the same reaction with that I, because just the idea, because it's an idea that artistically has been explored by a, a fair number of comic book artists and concept artists and stuff of Vader with the broken faceplate. And I just, I, I actually think that that was finally a moment where Rebels animation style actually shined because it, it showed a like a weird distortion with Anakin. Like it, it felt right to me because Anakin isn't right right now. And like just seeing, I, I don't know. I, I, like I, I just can't, I guess I can't find the adequate explanation for like, no, it, it didn't freak me out. It, it felt, it felt right. If anything, it was the, the one of the times where the animation really excelled for me. What was, was Anakin. It, it, seeing that that part of his face and everything, I guess I should I should have prefaced it a little bit more because I I think you're 100 percent right. I mean I love that moment. I love that we got like half Vader's voice, half Anakin's voice at certain times. You know, like when his helmet was destroyed. I thought that was spot on. I I love that moment. I guess I'm mainly thinking about like the holograms and the visions that we saw like in Shroud of Oh, Darkness, I see what you're saying. Where I, I just I had to get used to him. I'm not saying they did a poor job. I'm just like they mm-hmm. had to changed the style and so it was just kind of jarring to me because for some reason I didn't have that jarring moment with um with Ahsoka like it just felt right but with maybe it's because Anakin's human you know like it's the the facial features just kind of threw me a little bit just just an anecdote not saying it like ruined anything for me just yeah yeah I I mean personally I thought that the confrontation between Ahsoka and Vader was was what I've wanted this whole time it, it it had all of the emotional charge it had all everything that i wanted out of it except i wish they hadn't cut away from it at one point you know like yeah. yes i yes. wanted them to yeah. stay there and i also think 
to speak to the very controversial shot, you know, the montage at the end, that very, that very controversial moment. You know, the one I'm talking about. They, that was a cheat. I didn't, just seeing Vader walking out of it was enough for me. I didn't need to see that figure walking away, however brief it was. Make sense? I, I guess, like seeing Ahsoka walk away. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Seeing I got Vader walk away online, where I just wanted it to be playing. Here I go again on my <laughs> yeah, own. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I heard other people, you know, like complain about that moment, saying like, "Oh, it was, a, it was an unneeded cliffhanger. We don't need any more ambiguity. Like it was a cheat." I, I guess I don't really understand where that's coming from. Well, for me, it's a cheat because it, it it's still a cliffhanger without that shot. Mm-hmm. Because if Vader survived, she can have survived. I don't need to see it. It's too committal. Like now, for me. Any sense of suspense is gone for me. It it backs away from the real cliffhanger, which is, well, if he got out, did she get out? Well, and I, I'll, I'll push back on that, and I'll throw the challenge flag for you, okay. because I, I feel like one of the things that they did that I saw was the fact that you have this owl that we've seen a couple of times, mm-hmm. and this owl has very much the markings of what we saw the daughter look like in Mortis. Not only that, coupled with what Dave has said about Ahsoka and the fact that where she is now is very reminiscent of the end of the Fellowship of the Ring for Gandalf. Mm -hmm. So what is she? If she comes back, is she the same at all? Is she something else, you know, uh, so to me, that really added a lot of ambiguity to, to, I mean, I feel like Ahsoka is alive and yet not alive all at the same time. Uh, and so I really feel like there is some ambiguity there, and I like that um, because I my, my main question actually became, does Ahsoka somehow become the new daughter in Mortis awaiting the father? Uh, uh. I don't know. I, like, because she's already been there and she's mm. already played a role at Mortis. So that was just a big question I had. I, I felt like that blew my mind that they could be connecting with that. Let me put it this way. That it still works better for me if we just see uh, Vader walk out and be done with it. And not see her and then address the Mortis thing later. That's just a personal preference thing. You know, that's just... That's just who I am. Like, I, I, I would have preferred no reference to that so that if they do bring her back like that, it's a wow moment. Just like when they first introduced her and it was a, a real wow. Like, I, I you know, I, I just I feel like they've committed to bringing her back at this point. And it's, you know, and it's like, you know, I like the character and everything. It just feels it just felt forced to me. Uh, we want to cut in here, and we're so sorry, but uh, John was so gracious to give us some of our his time today as we were recording. But John actually needs to leave us a little bit early. And so, John, uh, let everybody know where they can find you online before we let you get out of here. Sure, and I, and I am sorry to, to, to cut out like this. Thank you so much for having me on. I, I always have a great time. And uh, where you can find me is you can find me at Kessel Junkie on Twitter. Uh, you can find me co-hosting uh, commentary Trek stars with Mike here on Trek FM. 
You can find me co-hosting Words with Nerds with my buddy uh, Craig. Um, and you can find me actually with Matt over on Aggressive Negotiations as part of the Nerd Party Network, uh, which is a uh, podcast that is devoted to some of the more esoteric uh, things in Star Wars. And, of course, you'll find me lurking around on the Babel Conference from time to time. Well, thanks, John. Appreciate you being here. May the Force be with you. Always. Now, Tristan, I want to ask you, because uh, as we're talking about Ahsoka, it it really made me wonder this. Um, Do you feel like this had to be the end for Ahsoka? Because, look, the moment that Ahsoka is part of the Rebels and Vader knows she's alive, she's really just a liability in the same way Luke is a liability, at least he feels like, in in Episode 6 where he's like, I shouldn't have come on this mission. Mm -hmm. I'm endangering the mission. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that, like we kind of need to somehow take care of her. So we may never see her in Rebels again, but we might see her somewhere else. You know, it's uh, that, that's really confusing to me, you know, like how I'm, I'm, I'm very conflicted about how I feel about that because I loved the introduction of Ahsoka in Rebels. And I, I know you're probably going to hate me for saying this, but I never really connected with Ahsoka in Clone Wars, at least not until the last season. And I, I, I didn't really, it's not like I disliked her or hated her. I was just kind of like, eh, you know, it's just another character. That's fine. I really didn't like her in the first, in the movie release, uh, but I, she started to grow on me. But it wasn't until she was a full-grown adult where I was just like, wow, I'm fascinated by this character. And I'm thankful I have that history from Clone Wars. And I remember having a conversation with you long ago, like well before season two actually started, where once we actually got the introduction of Ahsoka, we all knew that it was just a matter of time before she faced off with Darth Vader. Everybody knew that was going to happen. It had to happen. And I said to you, I said, I want one final battle between Ahsoka and Vader where Ahsoka kicks the crap out of Vader, where he is debilitated, he is hurt. And like, I think I even mentioned, like, I want to see his face mask ripped off. I want to see him struggling, but... Obviously, she can't win because we continue to have a Vader, but it's not necessary for us to continually have an Ahsoka. And I feel like if she died in that moment, I would have been okay because we had that battle. But because I like her so much in Rebels, I do want to see more of her. No, I I agree with you, too. And I've come to this conclusion just because of thinking through the realities uh, being in universe, Mm -hmm. you know. And so wherever Ahsoka is, again, I don't I don't think she's dead. I'm not quite sure if she's alive. So whatever that means, Uh, maybe she's in some kind of limbo, just like Gandalf was for a while. uh, Because, again, Dave referenced Lord of the Rings Mm -hmm. and this whole idea. He said he actually looked uh, at a lot of Tolkien's letters about the characters and specifically about Gandalf uh, to figure out what you know he was going to do with the Ahsoka character. So it seems like there is more storytelling for Ahsoka. Where and how that will happen, we're not sure. Now, we do know one thing. They are going to be releasing an Ahsoka novel that's going to be coming out later this year, which is great, which is going to tell a lot of her backstory between her time on Clone Wars and when we first see her in Rebels, which is very exciting. Um, So we will be getting more of that character. But as to her future in Star Wars, um, you know, if she's some kind of force apparition now or the daughter from Mortis or something along those lines, wouldn't it make an amazing story for her to show up in Episode Eight? 
as Luke and Rey are searching for the foundation of the Jedi. Like, to me, her coming back, maybe a Yoda coming back, Obi-Wan's spirit, all of those kind of things, the door's wide open. You know, I, I think it's really fascinating because she could go and do anything at this point in the Star Wars universe, and I think it would just be an incredible storytelling uh, moment. And the fact that she is transcended the idea of Jedi or Sith is really interesting as well, because she clearly says in this episode, I am no Jedi. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she's also a very powerful Force user, and... uh I'm kind of with you. I kind of like that she kicks the crap out of Vader, uh, that she gets the faceplate unexpectedly. She He's not expecting that. I thought it was so amazing. Um, so I think that's fascinating. Now, I have to ask you, what do you think about having Maul back? Because we know, one, uh, he survived with Clone Wars. Two, uh, looks like Maul's going to be a thorn in everybody's side next season. I you know there's a this is a huge point of contention in a lot of fans you know like about when they brought back Darth Maul in uh in the clone wars because you know like Lucas had Darth Maul die that way in Phantom Menace so that he could like the reason why it was so brutally epic was to show everybody no he's dead he's gone but right <laughs> he can't come back i caught him in yeah, half yeah he can't come back i caught him in half but somehow uh, either Lucas changed his mind or Filoni convinced him and they're like, no, we need to bring him back. And be- a lot of people didn't like that. I did uh, because I was such a huge fan of Maul in Phantom Menace. I mean, I was at just the right age where I was blown away by the look, the feel, just the the idea that he had a double lightsaber, that he had horns and all those tattoos. It was just so cool. He- the mystique around him was fantastic. And Yes. I do like that they brought him back and that like he had like this weird robotic legs. I didn't yeah. really love the the Night Sister storyline that much. I, I I wasn't really in love with the the mysticism and the witchcraft aspect of of Star Wars. That's just not really my style. But uh, once we were done with that and he went forward with his brother and they moved on i was i was very much wow okay this is cool this is fun this is great and it was interesting that in uh, twilight of the apprentice they didn't really like if you hadn't seen clone wars this is really gonna not make any sense to you because you're like like if you never saw that you only saw phantom menace you'd be like oh holy crap okay he has not only is darth maul not dead but he's back and he has legs what and yeah, so it'd be very confusing, but I love Sam Witwer as a voice actor so much. All of his work on Force Unleashed, Battlestar Galactica, and this, he we need to see more of Sam Witwer. Well, and, and I think that's what's so exciting, the fact that he is going to be back and they're going to be giving him more to do. And I think what was so fascinating, and this is why I like the fact that Maul came back. I think it was another way of showing just how dangerous and powerful the dark side is Mm -hmm. and the depths to which the dark side would go to keep somebody alive like Maul. And that's the whole thing about how he comes back is that the dark side actually keeps him alive. And what I love about, again, having him back as well is that he isn't just a brute with a lightsaber. Mm -hmm. He is this character that is smart and devious and, uh, you know, somebody that 
is a rival for Palpatine, who could have taken over Palpatine maybe one day because he had the mind. You know, he had the power. He was just cut down by Obi-Wan. And I think we're going to get a really fascinating story here. And, you know, um, it made me want to ask you a little bit about what you're hoping for Season 3 because my dream for Season 3 is that Obi-Wan has to come out of retirement mm. to help the Rebels and that he's the one who takes Maul down. That's my, like, fan, fanboy, uber-geek dream, that is that's the end of season three. And you know that if that did happen, we'd be hearing Duel of the Fates hard in that moment. Yes! <laughs> that would be so awesome. Yeah, I, you know, I, I don't know if they're going to bring Obi-Wan into it. I mean, I'm not opposed to it just because I'm such a huge Obi-Wan fan. But I don't know if they're going to bring Obi-Wan into into Rebels. I mean, like having a, a Princess Leia cameo, Lando and Hondo and everything like that, uh, it, it works. It's, it's okay. But for some reason, Obi-Wan just feels a little bit of a reach. I, I, like I said, I would not if, if that's actually going to happen, I'll, I'll be welcoming with both arms open. Uh, but... I part of season what I want to see in season three is very much I want to see more of Maul. I want to see Maul be that that character where we don't know his motivations, where he's kind of like Q. Is he a friend? Is he an enemy? Is he going to stab us in the back? Is he not? Is he only going to help us when it's advantageous for him? And I love that they started that ambiguity with Twilight of the Apprentice, where it's like it was in that moment it was clear that he you know like could he help us defeat vader could he not but then he made it known that uh he, he he's he's all about he wants ezra he wants to he wants to kill kanan he blinded kanan and so it's clear that he that he's he's still on the evil side but i think they're going to be able to bring him back in a way where it's you know like yeah he blinded like he blinded kanan and he wants ezra but we kind of need him right now i feel like they're going to be able to walk that line and I think that's going to be very interesting. Yeah, I, I think that's a great storyline uh, for the character of Maul in the sense that, you know, obviously enemy of my enemy is my friend. And that's kind of where they were going in, you know, this this Twilight of the Apprentice episode with Maul. But it's clear that he also has his own motivations and what those are and, and get having those fleshed out, I think, is going to be fantastic. And I've also heard rumblings that we're going to get more of the mandalorians in this next season which would be very interesting to see as well if they do it right mm -hmm. uh what they did in this last season i wasn't super excited about and i've heard that sabine is going to have more of a role and they really need to do something for her character to make me kind of want to see more of that so uh what i want for season three i think more than anything is just focus on the mythology of star wars in this season Please focus on the mythology because those are the episodes, as we talked about, you, me, and John, those are the ones we called out yep. uh, that were the most successful. And I, 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 can, I can also say the ones that really dove into that in the Clone Wars, which and there are a lot more of them because it's, it's connected to all the main characters, uh, that really dive into the mythology and add something to the depth of that that make it better. And we're getting to the point where they really can do that because we're supposed to be having this season have more connections with Rogue One and we're moving closer to the original series and these characters should be more a part of all that's going on with the entire rebellion. Really open that can of worms and just start to give it to us. You know, 
don't hold things back from us. You know, uh, put it all on the table. You know, I, I feel like Rebels has been withholding uh, because uh, they're not sure exactly what they want to be and who they want to be. I feel like you've kind of found it more now. So just really give it to us and and don't make us wait because, two, with animation, even with Disney, we don't know how many seasons you're going to mm-hmm. get. So make sure that you have a hard time writing season four because you gave us so much awesome. And, you know, make yourself up your game, you know. Uh, and, and to me, that's the best TV is leave it all out on the table as soon as possible because, you know, um, you, you never know how long. And, and especially with Clone Wars, you know, it's like uh, we saw what happened, what can happen in entertainment where something gets cut down before its time is really done. Don't let that happen with Rebels where we feel like, ah, oh, if you just hadn't wasted time on an episode with, like Blood Sisters, you know? Yeah, I, I couldn't have put it better myself. I, I completely agree with you about give us the mythology, give us that though that serialized television. We don't, you know, it's okay to have an episode that's, you know, like a one-off every now and again, but don't give us three in a row. Give us a good episode and then give us three more in a row. It, it, it just, it it will not work. And I understand it's it's hard because we're we're grown men talking about a Star Wars cartoon on Disney XD, and so. But the thing is, they know that the people making the show know that that they're trying to. Obviously, it's a kids show, but they're you know if you just saw Twilight of the Apprentice, you would not think this is a kids show, and so they're they're trying very hard to walk that line, but hopefully they'll be able to walk it a little bit better on one side over the other for season three. And I think the, the the last thing I want to say about what I'm looking forward to in season three is Ezra potentially tipping over. Because, you know, like in Clone Wars, we have Ahsoka as the main apprentice, uh, as the main apprentice, and she left the order. She didn't turn evil, but she left the order. That's something unexpected. With Ezra, you know, like he's been a beaming light for season one and most of season two. But that thirst for knowledge of all of all forms, very you know, very Voldemort esque, you know, like if he continues to seek knowledge, is that is that knowledge going to change him? And you know, is his thirst for more power, whether it's to use good or not, could that take him over to the dark side? And I hope that they don't push him over to the dark side, but I want to question it. I think that's a great thought uh, with the the. Uh entire series of you know Ezra has kind of a flirtation with the dark side from the beginning and like Anakin he has a background that could lead to that with the death of his parents you know growing up on his own all of these things you know we're we're seeing some echoes of of those characters who have gone bad even a Luke who's tempted by the dark side you know so uh really think that would be interesting to finally dive in and see that struggle. Maybe Ezra comes very close or is a part of the dark side for a little bit and he has to be redeemed in some way. You know, I don't know. It just, it seems like a great question to start answering and uh, I'm with you. I think it could be fantastic. What would, if if you had to put a rating on, on season two, what do you think you'd you'd put it as? Uh, Putting it in an overall rating would be tough because there were episodes in here that were just phenomenal, that were 9 out of 10s. And 
were were just great but then there was a lot of episodes that were like three or fives you know and we all know that it's really easy to knock your average down not so hard to bring it back up and so it you know the, the episodes that were great were phenomenal the episodes that were not so great were mediocre or bad and so I don't know. It's just like if I had to give an overall rating, I'd say 60 to 70 percent. But knowing like, you know, like with a movie, you can say "Eh, it's okay. You know, had some great parts, but, you know, like had some it was meandering a little bit. So it's it's, it's hard because as a season of television, you kind of have to treat that one season as one movie because there's a beginning, middle and end. And you have to go and there is some up and downs. And so you give it all overall rating. But it's with me saying it's 60 or 70, it makes me feel like I'm betraying those episodes that were really, really good. I think, I think you're right on because I, I have the same issue with the season. Um, it really, it really is good for the most part, but then there are those episodes that just really felt like they, they just let me down. Mm-hmm. And so I do have to come away and say, this is, a 70% season. I think you put it really well. Uh, it, it it could have been better. There could have been some things that they had done better where it would have been more like 85, 90%. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, when you look at it, I would say uh, the just percentage numbers, it's about 70%. And, and that's not bad. I think it's growing. I think for me, it's growing from where season one was. This is getting better. So I, I, I can't wait to see where they go in season three. And uh, we have so much Star Wars goodness, and I love getting to talk about it here on the 602 Club. Of course, um, the fact that uh, our associate producers through Patreon help us do this, Ken Tripp, Davis Grayson, they're amazing. I really appreciate their support. It it means the world to me that, um, you know, they give enough money to be a associate producer on the show, and they chose the 602 Club. And uh, what that means, though, through Patreon, we're a listener-supported network. And we definitely need your help to keep these shows coming to you each and every week. It costs a lot of money. We have a huge network with so many different shows, uh, all that we're doing for the 50th anniversary of Star Trek and beyond. So go to patreon.com slash trekfm and you can see how you can be part of the team and make sure that everything comes to you each and every week. Uh, We're a part of the Trek FM network here at the 602 Club. You can find all of our shows at itunes.com slash trekfm. We're also on our website at trek.fm. Contact us. Send us an email. Go to trek.fm slash contact. Choose the 602 Club. That comes straight to me. Love to hear what you have to say about Rebels Season 2. And, of course, you can leave us a voicemail. Go to speakpipe.com slash trek.fm. That's a great place to go. I, I love getting voicemails. Uh, and you'll notice that when we get a voicemail, it shows up on the show. So send us one. Uh, and then, of course, if you want to talk to us, we're on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. And, of course, the Babel Conference, which is our listeners-only discussion group. And that's really the best place to talk to all of the fans of the Trek FM network. Type Babel into the search field on Facebook or click discussion on the menu bar on any of our show pages at trek.fm. Tristan, uh, it's been a blast that we've talked Rebels. And uh, before we go, let everybody know where they can find you. Well, you can find me on Twitter at the Insane Robin. That's probably the best way to get in contact with me and uh, ask me questions or talk with me in any way. And you can also find me uh, on the Trek FM network with To the Journey, a, a Star Trek Voyager show that I host with Charlene Schmidt. And I 
also am a part of the Nerd Party Network, just like you, Matt, where we have three amazing shows, if I do say so myself. So please check those out. We have uh, The Senate Floor, Nerd Nuptial, and Aggressive Negotiation. So please check them out, see if you like them, and go to thenerdparty.com. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash thenerdparty. Well, I am on Twitter at MattRushing02. I am also doing The Orb here on the network with Chris Jones. We're talking about Deep Space Nine exclusively. It's so much fun, so check that out. I also do Literary Treks with Dan Gunther, where we talk about the books and the comics of Star Trek, and we're also interviewing the authors. So that is uh, that's just a great way to, to explore Star Trek is through the books and the comics. And then, of course, John and I are doing aggressive negotiations, as he mentioned, and you'll find that on the nerdparty.com. And we're talking all about Star Wars. And as you know, here on the 602 Club, we have the special Star Wars feed. So you can subscribe to that. If you love all the shows we do on Star Wars, you can get each and every Star Wars show in one dedicated feed along with the main feed we have for the 602 Club. So check all of those things out. I appreciate all of you being here so much, and may the Force be with you.